You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Hey, post-Easter, I just wanted to talk for a moment about what Easter means, the implications of Easter. And so I'm going to call this little short series, Awake and Alive, because this is what we can expect out of Easter, being awake and alive, a call to light and life. Easter changes everything, but let's, I mean, I know we say big things like that, platitudinal things like that, but what does it mean? What does it mean that Easter happened? What does it mean for our life as always, if you have any Uh, questions or answers to questions that I posed, hit me up. That's the number. It'll be on the bottom of each screen. I'm going to open that now just in case I see anything come through. It'll be here. But yeah, really, we're talking about the implications of Easter and how big those are, but sometimes we never dive into it. And so I just want to talk about being awake and alive post-Easter. This idea of what can we expect? What is new? What does Christ call us to? And today I want to talk about sleeping. And being awake. That's the title of the sermon series. Of course I want to talk about that. But wake up. Wake up. That's what I want to talk about is waking up. And I'm flipping everything I do on its head. Everybody, I'm so sorry. Usually we start with bad news and then we head into the good news. I want to start with good news and talk all about bad news. But sleeping is such a big part of our life. Like if you're doing it well, you should be doing like a third of your life should be sleeping, right? Is that a third? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I'm looking at my math people. Yeah, a third of your life should be sleeping. And there's always there's just weird stuff that happens with sleep. I'll tell you one of my most horrific stories is I just, I mean, we just had our first child. And I was taking night shifts. And so I was up late. And um, as you know, childhood for me was difficult. I didn't have a lot of good examples of parenting. And so I started watching the Cosby show as soon as I had a baby. And um, Mr. Hux, Dr. Huxtable was a great role model to me. It did not age well. But at the time, it was very comforting for me to have a good uh, role model of parenting. But I'd fall asleep because I was taking the night shift with this new baby, and I'd fall asleep late, and I fell asleep on the couch. And I remember one time I woke up. I didn't know if I was awake or asleep. I was somewhere in between. It just feeling like this overwhelming presence sitting on my chest. I didn't know if it was demonic. I didn't know if it was dreamlike. I didn't know if it was too much sugar. I had no idea what it was. But I just remember it was hard to breathe and I couldn't move. You ever have those dreams? I don't know if it's dreams or awake, but you just, you can't move. So many of my dreams, like sometimes I'm trying to call for help and my fingers don't work. Is this a thing for you all? And you can't do anything with it. And I just remember like trying to call out Jesus's name and I couldn't even like, I was just, so one of the scariest situations that happened for me it was somewhere between sleep and awake and I remember it to this day it felt oppressive but it also felt like I was making bad decisions about staying up late I have no idea what was happening if it was a lesson or an attack but it was scary it was a scary in-between state that was just wild to me a less scary one is that like my anybody married to a sleep talker my wife, she's lovely, and she falls asleep about 8 o'clock every night and gets up at 4.30 every morning because she's a saint. And, uh, and, but every once in a while, it'll be like 10 o'clock, and she'll be like, did we go to Roland? And I'm like, is that a place or a person? She's like, 
it's a place, James. And I'm like, it's okay, honey, go back to sleep. And she's like, oh, she's so mad. And I'm like, what are you? <laughs> and then we have a couple in this church whose husband is very mean to her during her dreams, very nice to her when she's awake. But she gets so mad at her dream husband. This sleep thing is wild. The stuff we're doing with sleep. And today I want to talk about waking up because I think being awake, fully awake, fully awake is an implication of Easter. If you want to turn with me, you can. There's scripture there. We're going to be jumping all over the place, but I have page numbers if you want them. The implication of Easter is, one of them is being awake. Ephesians 5. It's only a verse. It'll be on the screen, but if you'd like to read it out of the book, it is here for us. 895. And it says, 13 and 14, everything exposed to the light is revealed by the light. Everything that is revealed by the light is light. I mean, that's a wild statement. Everything that's revealed by the light is light. But this is how powerful Paul thinks that post-resurrection Christ light shining on us is. Not only does it reveal us, not only does it expose us, but it's so powerful that it's actually transformational, that it actually changes us into the light of Christ. And he says, therefore, since that's true, since Christ's life is, light is so powerful and life is so powerful and it can transform you when, it's, when you're exposed to it, he says, wake up, sleeper. Get up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. This line is in italics. We don't know where it comes from. Some people think it comes from Isaiah, but it's not close. It's kind of close. They really think that this is a line about baptism, that this was said during baptism, a baptismal hymn that was sung by the church. Get up, sleeper. Wake up. Wake up. And let the light of Christ shine on you. This is one of the implications of Easter is that now we can wake up. And just like we get out of bed and we go out into the daylight, we can wake up from our slumber, from our sleep of death, and get into the light of Christ and be transformed. That is our good news, that the light of Christ is so strong that it makes us into light. And we can wake up. We can wake up. Paul, though, is not writing to non-Christians. He's writing to us. He's writing to Christians, which is wild. Because there's ways in which we can fall asleep. And that's what I want to spend the next 20 minutes going over is how do Christians end up falling asleep after they've already had an encounter with Christ? So much so, he's writing to uh, uh, the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was steeped in all kinds of wild stuff. At the center of their town was this temple of Artemis, or if you like the Roman names better, the temple of Diana. And it was one of the eight wonders of the world. It was incredible. In fact, some say it was the greatest wonder of the eight. And uh, inside of it, it had all this bank stuff. And, and um, it was a weird cult that had a lot to do with sex. There were prostitutes and sex workers and eunuchs. And this governed the whole region. Huge trade route. Uh, you can see the birth of the church in Acts 19. Paul ends up going here, and Christians have such a profound impact that it disrupts the economic activity of this. The idol makers and sellers felt like Christianity was undermining their business because they're getting ready to get helping people get rid of their idols. And so Ephesus, the Ephesian church, starts with this huge bang that disrupts all the economic activity of the city. 
And there's this incredible church planted there. But then by the time Paul writes this letter to them, they had been steeping for about 12, 13, 15 years back into this culture, this dominant religion that made everything orbit around it. And even these Christians have started to fall back asleep, even though they had this powerful encounter with Jesus after Easter they started to fall back asleep. And so that's what I want to talk about. What makes us fall back asleep? Paul's not talking to non-Christians. He's talking to Christians that have been lulled by their culture back into sleeping. What makes us fall back asleep? And how does the good news of Easter help keep us awake? Three points, as always, summing up like this. Sometimes we fall asleep waiting for magic. Sometimes we just a good old-fashioned choke out, just, just, just get choked out. And I'm going to end with forgetfulness. As always, head, heart, hands. I think there's a knowing aspect, a feeling aspect, and a doing aspect. But instead of asking, you know, what does God want us to know, feel, and do? I'm just, where, where are the ways we fall asleep in our head and our heart and our hands? And so before we get into the head part, let's jump into some more scripture. If you have a Bible with you, 756, or it'll be on the screen, your call. We're at the end of Matthew 25. It's a parable, about 10 virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come and they got some lamps and in the middle of their waiting they get real drowsy and sleepy post easter i'm a little drowsy and sleepy too so wedding party but what happens is that the groom has to go to the bride's family and negotiate a price for the bride and uh, part of the culture was that it should take a long time because she's worth it. Does that make sense? And so everyone expected the groom to be late to the party because it was part of the culture. If it went too fast, that did not say very much about this woman. Even in the middle of buying women, they were still kind of courteous about, you know, we should at least make her feel like she's worth something. And so this is what's happening here. Jesus is telling a story about this institution where this bride has gone to, to haggle with the family, and he's going to be late, and everybody knows he's going to be late. And so the bridal party is waiting outside with their lamps, and, and, and they know it's going to go dark, and so they know they need these lamps, and so they get ready to fall asleep. And I'm starting at verse 5. It's on the screen. It says, When the groom was late in coming, they all became drowsy and went to sleep. But at midnight, there was a cry, Look, the groom, come out to meet him. Then all of those bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. But the foolish bridesmaids, five of them, said to the wise ones, Give us some of your oil because our lamps have gone out. But the wise bridesmaids replied, No, because if we share with you, there won't be enough for us. So we have a better idea. Go find somebody and buy your own. And so while they were gone to buy oil, the groom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding, and then the door was shut. It's so late. you got to be protective, right? You shut the door. Later, those uh, five foolish bridesmaids came back and said, Lord, Lord, open the door from us. And he said, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep alert, Jesus says. You don't know the day or the hour. One of the ways in which I think we fall asleep is that we sit around waiting for magic. We sit around waiting for a religious experience. Sometimes we just sit around waiting for Jesus to show up, and we wait, and we wait unprepared. We wait without preparation. We wait and wait and wait and wait and wait for Jesus to sweep us off our feet or to smack us upside the head, and it's all a lot more subtle than that. I hate to tell I don't know if this is bad news or not, but life is long and difficult. And if you don't want to hear your pastor say that, I'm gonna just going to say it every week. 
And that's me being warm-hearted towards all of us. It's hard, and it's difficult, and it's long. And we're often, like I said, we're often waiting for Jesus to come, sweep us off our feet or smack us upside the head. But Jesus tells this parable that it's all more intentional than that. And it's all more subtle. Last week we talked about not missing it, right? Matthew invites us to see the greatest story in Scripture. The greatest story of Jesus' life is the resurrection. And he hardly gets any lines at all. The angel gets way more lines. Everybody gets more lines than Jesus in the resurrection story. Because it's more subtle and intentional. There's a drawing in. But sometimes we just sit around and we wait for those mountaintop experiences. We want to, to be overwhelmed with emotion. We want to be overwhelmed with experience. But one of the ways we fall asleep is sitting around waiting to be overwhelmed with emotion and experience. And it's all more intentional and subtle. In fact, the Christian life is a, is a long obedience in the same direction. I'm stealing that line from my favorite pastor. He's passed on now, Eugene Peterson. If I could be a pastor like anybody, it would be Eugene Peterson. But he's, he writes this wonderful book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction discipleship in an instant society. And a quote he has there, he says, there's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship or discipleship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. It's not your fault. You live in a society that taught you to value experience and right now and instant. But Jesus says if we stay there and we wait there and we just sit around waiting for Jesus to smack us upside the head or sweep us off our feet, we're going to fall asleep. And that sleep is going to be destructive to us. Wake up. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It reminds me of this. I like Malcolm Gladwell. He gets a bad rap sometimes, but I think he's brilliant. I love his podcasts on history. But he, in a book called Outliers, he wrote about this idea of 10,000 hours. I'm going to give you a minute of him talking about 10,000 hours. He's talking about basketball players. But I think we can make the connection. Here we go. Malcolm Is Gladwell. Is the 10,000-hour rule real or make-believe? Well, now he's referring to uh, an idea I wrote about in my book, Outliers, in looking at research in cognitively complex fields, what we find overwhelmingly is that people need about 10,000 hours of practice before they become experts. 10,000 hours is, you know, it's roughly 10 years. So it takes 10 years to be good at something. It's basically what the rule says. If the thing is hard, chess players, it's very, very hard to find someone who can reach the level of, of uh, grandmaster who hasn't been playing chess for 10 years. Very hard to find someone who could be an elite point guard in the NBA who hasn't been playing point guard for 10 years. I mean, this is famously a problem in, in the NBA in evaluating um, rookies. You draft someone to play point guard and you say, oh, they're, they're a disappointment. And the reason is it's too early because that's the most demanding position on the court in basketball. It's not make-believe, this is a real rule. And the research suggests that and a good average for how, how long you need to spend on that is about 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours. We get it. Cognitively complex. Christianity is spiritually complex. This is a long obedience in the same direction. And Jesus gives us this parable to let us know that, like, you're in it for the long haul. And life's hard. There's a lot of good things and there's a lot of bad things. But if we sit around and wait 
for magical mountaintop experiences, and we expect that to be the primary experience of our faith, we're going to fall asleep. There's a pastor in Oregon who wrote a, a, bo- a book about prayer. It's great. And, and he's encouraging people to develop this long practice of prayer, right? A, a more mature understanding of prayer. But the example he uses, he says, our society is obsessed with young love and old love. But this part, they don't enjoy very much. <laughs> young love, exciting, great experience. Old love, we're like excited to see that people made it. This, young love crashes into this part, right? And it just falls apart. But people can make it through the hard part. We have so much value and respect for that. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Like a lot of life is here. And if, we're, if we think it's going to be old love or young love, we're gonna, it's just going to be an expectation that gets unmet in a way that might just lull us back to sleep. This is a daily practice, a daily waking up to Jesus. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, tells us, he says, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. It's a daily coming back to Jesus, not sitting around waiting to get swept off our feet or smacked upside the head, coming back daily to begin. So waiting for that magical mountaintop experience, that's one of the ways that we fall asleep. Number two, the good old-fashioned chokeout. You want to go with me? It's to Luke 8, 788 is the page you have there, or it's on the screen. Your call. One verse over there. Luke 8, 14. Jesus is telling a parable about a farmer who throws seeds. This is God spreading God's word into the world. But this farmer throws seeds everywhere, but not all the seeds germinate. Not all the seeds come up. And one of the seeds, he says, and the soil is our hearts. And so not all hearts receive the seed well. And here's one he's talking about in verse 14. He says this, As for the seed that fell among the thorny plants... These are the ones who, as they go about their lives, are choked by the concerns, riches, and pleasures of life. Their fruit never matures. One of the ways that we can fall asleep, one of the ways that Paul is encouraging us to wake up is from the concerns and the comforts and the pleasures of this life. We can get choked out by comfort, concerns, and cares. We can fall back asleep from that initial Easter revelation of waking up because Jesus came back to life with comfort, concerns, and cares. This is my wife. She was not happy that I took this picture back in 2014. But I needed somebody to see that my wife, her favorite thing to do is be like, let's watch this really terrible movie. And I'm like, okay, but I know what's going to happen. You're going to fall asleep, and I have, to, I have to finish it. I have to. I have something wrong with me where I have to finish it. And so I don't know how many millions of movies we're going on 20 years next year. We started, and five minutes later, the credits aren't even off the front of the screen. It's like produced by Jack. And she's just like, she didn't even get the plot summaries or anything. And I'm just sitting there watching Mean Girls by myself. (laughs) And she just says, listen, I'm just going to get comfortable. That's how it starts, right? Because I'm just going to get comfortable. I just want to be comfortable when I watch this movie. And I'm like, 
it takes everything in me to not rage about this. I'm like, okay, just get comfortable. I'll watch this terrible movie I didn't want to watch by myself. It's that getting comfortable that puts us to sleep, Jesus tells us in Luke 8. It's the comfort choked by the concerns and the riches and the pleasures of life. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, here's just a clip from Big Daddy, uh, Adam Sandler, just to, just, just to see what Jesus is saying when he says choked. Here we go. There's this guy, T.J. Strongbow, who used to do his sleep hold. Put your arm under you. Flip this arm, okay? Slide under, you've got a lock wrist, okay? Lock wrist, you're gonna try to, yeah, let me show you, let me show you, watch, watch. Roman, Roman, he comes back and, boom, get him, get him, lock him up, lock him up. Lock wrist, okay? You bring him down slow, uh, apply pressure, and he's going to sleep right now. See, he's out. You ever had that happen to you? <laughs> that is a weird way to come out of a clip, huh? In seventh grade, it was me and a buddy hanging out, and a girl came over, and we wanted to, both of us wanted to impress her. And we did this thing where we, like, made each other black out, where we breathed, like, a hundred times and pushed on each other's chest. And I remember, the last thing I remember was laughing, and then falling, and then hitting my head, and then... I don't know how long I was out. Choked out. I just only reason I show this because that's the language Jesus used is to talk about the cares and the pleasures and the comforts of life. All the stuff you're chasing, all the stuff you deeply desire, Jesus says will make you fall asleep. Like that. Uh, which should scare you. All the stuff our society tells you that you should want and need and all the concerns, you should get rid of all of those. And Jesus says, that life leads to death. That life will choke you out so fast. I'm thinking of another scripture here. If I can't find it in 30 seconds. 30 seconds or less, it's free. 1 Timothy 6, he talks about, First Timothy 6, 9, people who are trying to get rich fall into temptation. They are trapped by many stupid and harmful passions that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You are trying to get the thing that Jesus tells you is going to kill you. It's been our whole life. Me too. I'm not judging you. This is the society we've inherited. First, let's talk about concerns. Let's talk about our worries. Jesus says the worries of life. Remember, we already talked about life's hard. It's full of worries. Jesus knows this. Talks about this multiple times. And he says concerns will choke you out. One of my favorite authors is James Bryan Smith. He's got a podcast, multiple books, The Good and Beautiful God, The Good and Beautiful Life. And in The Good and Beautiful Life, he talks about worry. And he says, worry does nothing good for your life. And it's our way of thinking that we can control future pain. We are trying to prevent future pain, and he says that Jesus tells us you can't. You can't. Life's hard, and it's long, and this is a long obedience in the same direction, but Jesus' kingdom is good, and it's unshakable. It's unshakable, but we worry. We spend our mind and our time worrying 
trying to prevent future pain or future what-ifs or future catastrophes, and you can't, right? Jesus says, how many of you can even just add one more year of life or change any hairs on your head? And yet you're trying to worry about the future? You can't prevent pain. And then he says comforts and wealth. Matthew 80 talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. These things that we're chasing after, they're going to put us to sleep. Concerns and comforts is our way to try to get safety and security without a savior. It's our way of trying to control our own life and our own destiny and our own safety and security. And Jesus says that's a fast ticket to go into sleep. That these obsessions with wealth and comforts and pleasures and worries, it's anesthesia that prevents you from living into the resurrection life that Jesus has for you. It's just you counting back from 100, right? And you don't even make it to 95. You know when you're going under? And they're just like, count back from 100. And you're like, I feel fine at 100. And then immediately asleep. Jesus says it chokes you out, chokes you out. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Jesus calls us to a life of simplicity and generosity. That's the only tools we have against letting this lull us to sleep. Do hands. What do, what, what do we... What do we do as people that help us get back into a sleepy state? One more story for us. If you got it or it's on the screen, at the end of your book, last book of the Bible, Revelation, chapter 3, the resurrected and ascended Christ is speaking to churches, and he's talking to them about what's great about them and what's not so great about them. And in chapter 3, he's talking to churches, and he gives one of his strongest warnings to the church in Sardis. It's on the screen if you want it. It's also in your book on page 937. And it says this. Jesus says, write this to the angel of the church in Sardis. Already mysterious, right? These are the words of the one who holds God's seven spirits and seven stars. Still mysterious. I know your works, church in Sardis. You have the reputation of being alive. And you are, in fact, dead. Wake up! And strengthen whatever you have left, teetering on the brink of death. For I found that your works are far from complete in the eyes of my God. So remember what you have received and heard. Hold on to it and change your hearts and lives. If you don't wake up, I will come like a thief and you won't know what time I will come upon you. One of the ways I think we fall asleep is we stop remembering. Spiritually falling asleep comes from spiritual forgetfulness. Remember, he says, remember and hold on. This church forgot and let go. From beginning to the end, the Bible encourages us to remember, 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 remember. And we are forgetful people. Deuteronomy, remember the long road on which the Lord your God led you. That's what he says to the nation of Israel. Remember. Multiple times, remember. Remember. When he commands them to rest on Saturday, he doesn't say, take a rest on Saturday. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's about remembering, remembering the long. Remember, I'm the one who delivered you out of Egypt. Remember, remember. Fast forward thousands of years later, every Sunday, we enter into a time of communion. Jesus, in his final hour before going to the cross, he sits down with his disciples And he takes this bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. That this meal is a broadcasting of his death 
and his resurrection, and we do it to remember. Falling asleep spiritually is forgetfulness, spirituality. We forget. When we forget how God has brought us to where we are, it's easy for Satan to get us to fall asleep. And Satan doesn't have to destroy you if he could just get you to fall asleep. You did it yourself. It made me think of this phrase, because I'm spending a lot of time at the baseball field, way too much time. They tricked me. They were like, maybe a practice, maybe a practice a week, maybe a game. I'm there like four nights a week. I only got one kid in it. You saints who have multiple kids in this thing, gosh, bless you. It's your whole life. But I think about this phrase that says, uh, you know, when people are arrogant about their life circumstances and, and, and their own abilities, sometimes people say they were born on third base but act like they hit a triple. You heard this phrase? And I think we do this with our spiritual lives. We forget that God brought us that far. And we act like it was us. And we get all puffed up and prideful about our abilities and our wisdom and how smart we are and how good at life we are. And we forgot that it was God who brought us that far. And so we get arrogance and puffed up, born on third base, act like they hit a triple. We're so good at forgetting. We're so good, especially when it comes to like other people or God helping us and how good we are. We just think we just give ourselves the credit. So good at forgetting. So much that, you know, famously, goldfish have an attention span of about nine seconds. That is so well known that they created a whole character about this. That's our whole deal. And it came out in 2015. Microsoft did a study with 2,000 people, and they said, we have less of attention span than goldfish. We used to have 12 seconds. Goldfish famously have nine seconds. People now generally lose concentration after eight seconds, less than a goldfish. We're so good at forgetting. We're so, and forgetfulness makes us fall asleep because it puffs us up in our own arrogance, thinking we're good, we'll figure it out, forget how far God has led us, and it makes us fall asleep. Let me tell you, my wife went on a trip this week, business trip, and one of the things that happens when my wife is away so that I get an opportunity to remember what my life is like without a wife. Sometimes I'm like, she's great. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty great too. And then she leaves and I'm like, oh, this is not, I remember what it was like pre-wife, pre-wife life. Let me tell you, Monday night, I stayed up till 5 a.m., eating trash Easter candy and watching trash TV and went, oh, no. Oh, no, this is pre-wife life stuff. You get a chance to remember. But then 20 years in, you're, little, you're like, listen, 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 20 years, we got this. And then she leaves and my whole thing fell apart. The whole deal. Sometimes you get a chance to remember because you forget and that forgetfulness lulls you to sleep. We we can't trust Jesus in the present or for the future if we forget what he's done in the past. This is Richard Foster. He wrote a bunch of books like Celebration of Discipline and some really lovely stuff. And he says, remembering God's work in the past has a sustaining and a renewing effect. Wakes us up during times of spiritual drought. Forgetfulness leads to sleepiness. Quickly, so how do we wake up? I don't want to leave you on a... Here's three ways you fall asleep. Good luck, you know. 
we get some, some semblance beyond just wake up in that Revelation passage to that church in Sardis. He says, wake up. You think you're alive. You have a reputation for being alive. You really are dead. You're teetering on the brink of death. Wake up, wake up, he says. And he gives them four things to do. And I'm going to leave you with these. And Holy Spirit, help us. Strengthen, remember, hold on to it, and change your hearts and lives. If we were going strict Greek, uh, you know, translation, strengthen it, he says. Remember, obey, hold on to it. Obey is the word there. And repent, change your hearts and lives. And I really love the idea of strength in here because there's a glimmer of hope in that passage. There's a, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive and you are in fact dead. Wake up and strengthen whatever you have left. There's something there. There's some, none of us are beyond hope. He says, you're teetering on the brink of death. He gives them a glimmer. He uses all this very strict and hard language about them falling asleep, but he says, listen, you're teetering. You have something. You have something. Strengthen it. And I think that's really helpful advice for us. That if you feel like you're falling asleep or you feel like you're not experiencing that Easter life that Jesus has for us, find what's going well and pour into it. Invest into Strengthen what you got. That'll help us stay awake. Be a person who remembers. Be a person who remembers regularly what God has done in your life, what God has done for you, how far God has brought you. Learn to practice obedience. Remember, this is a long road, a long obedience in the same direction. This is going to be a muscle that takes Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. Give yourself grace. Strengthen what's good. But learn to stretch that muscle of obedience, of practicing that, that long obedience. And be a person that's quick to acknowledge your faults so that you aren't one of these people that feel like the arrogance of pride of feeling like you were born on third, but you act like you hit a triple, right? You're a person that's humble. You're a person that acknowledges that you need help. You're a person that knows that you can't do this by yourself. And it, it's a cycle. You're remembering how far God has brought you, and then you're asking God for more help to continue to help you on the way. Maybe it's just enough light to take the next step, but not getting so wrapped up in your own pride and arrogance of it. This is the four pieces of advice that Jesus gives the church at Sardis. Strengthen what you have. Remember what God has done practice obedience, and be a humble person who confesses and acknowledges your faults. And with that, I'm taking questions and wrapping up, and the only one I got was that Mean Girls is a great movie, and you are right. You're right. I didn't mean to throw it under the bus like that. I 100% agree. Here's my summary. Good news. Because of the resurrection and the cross, we can come awake to new life and light in Christ. But sleep creeps up on us. And I think that's the scary part, because if I just walked up to you and held a gun to your head and was like, deny Jesus, you've all been prone to practice that situation. You're like, never. If Satan came up to you and was, if Satan ran up on you for a fight, you'd be prepared. That's just not how life works. It creeps up on us. It's a slow fade. If we saw Satan running fast, we'd be, we'd be ready. It's the, it's the sneakiness of it that catches up to us. And sleep creeps up on us so quickly through waiting without walking the long road prepared for us through the comfort and cares of this long and difficult life and through forgetfulness about how far Jesus has brought us. And with that, let us head into a time of communion, remembering what Jesus has done for us. Would you pray with me?
Thank you, Father. Thank you for the resurrection. And thank you for the implications of Easter that we can be awakened alive to this life, to you, to new creation, to being a new human in and through Jesus. Would you help us to experience that? And I know that's what we want. That's why we're here. We desperately want that. We want those experiences. So would you help us, keep us from falling asleep? Some of us are here because we feel sleepy. Some of us are here because we don't want to fall back asleep. Would you help us? Would you help us to to remain faithful to you over the long haul? Would you help us to remember what you've done for us? And would you help us to not chase after the things that lead to death? This is the repentance we need. Not naming every single thing we've ever done wrong, but changing our minds so drastically, Jesus, that that we stop chasing after things that lead to death. That we stop believing that we can have both good things of you and bad, deathly things of the world. Help us to adjust and alter our ideologies and paradigms so that we put you first and only. And we stop teetering with the things of death. We stop playing around with things that make us fall asleep. As we come to the bread and to the cup, would you help us to remember your death and resurrection on our behalf? And would you meet us here as you promised to do? And Table Church, would you help me finish this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power.